So I'm Dialan Clark. Uh, I'm a breast surgeon from the UK. I've come out to Kijabe mainly to help because Beryl has been a, on maternity leave, the surgeon who does most of the breast work here. Uh, and Peter Bird, who we know for many, many years, asked if we could, if I could come and help. And Peter grew up in India okay. as a missionary child, with ah. his father being a surgeon in a missionary hospital, mm -hmm. a mission hospital in India, in a place called Mysore. Uh, and it so happened that my wife's father was also a surgeon in the same hospital and they grew up together across a wall as neighbors growing up in India and that was my connection with Peter Bird. So, and I think my wife and Peter lost connection though our respective parents kept in touch. Uh -huh. And then when we were visiting Nairobi for a safari in 2006, we heard that Peter was here. So we were going for a safari with my wife's parents. Uh -huh. It was their 50th wedding anniversary and they love wildlife. So that was our treat for them yeah. for their 50th wedding anniversary. And they said, oh, Peter's in Kijabe, let's try and meet up with Peter. So we came and visited Kijabe, had lunch with Peter and Sue uh, in yeah. 2006. I took an early retirement from my work in the NHS in the UK with the express purpose to go and help hospitals in need, mission hospitals in need. And then in 2019, I came out to Nairobi with a group of breast surgeons from the UK to mm. train, to do a training course and a teaching course in Nairobi. And who was on the local faculty? It was Peter Bird. So we met <laughs> up again uh, and I was telling Peter how I had taken an early retirement with the express view of going and helping mission hospitals yeah. in need. And then he turned around and said, oh, would you be able to help in Kijabe if we needed you? I said, oh, I'd love to come to Kijabe if you yeah. needed me. And then, of course, Peter was leaving last year and Beryl was going on maternity leave. So he contacted me and said, can you come and help us while Beryl's on maternity leave? And so I'm here. That's how I'm here. So, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you and your wife meet? Um, how did you meet? So I went to a medical school in India, which is a Christian medical school yeah. called CMC, Christian Medical College, Belo. Uh, and we were classmates in Belo and uh -huh. uh, we met there and sort of met and then got married after we uh after we finished our house jobs and then yeah. did some mission service, which is part of our obligation in uh, India, then did our respective postgraduate training in Indi in Velo again, mm -hmm. myself in general surgery and my wife in pediatrics, uh, and then did worked again in mission hospitals in India and then went out to the UK in 1991, never intending to settle in the UK, but God... God's wills are strange and uh, yeah. we never thought that's going to be the plan, but that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, and I was very conscious that because we've trained in Valor, we I've always grown with the feeling that I consider myself very fortunate coming from a very average background in India. My father was a minister in the church and retired as the Bishop of Madras. Um, so very ordinary background, but consider ourselves very fortunate to have been able to have gone to the UK and to made a career there, to have become consultants there, and always felt as soon as my children were on their own feet, I'm going to stop working, retire, and try to give back to people who have been less fortunate than myself. Wow. Wow, that brings up so many, so many interesting questions. I'm not super familiar with India, but one of my dreams, and this is why I was so excited to meet you, is I heard from um, from Dr. Nthumba, where we were starting yes. Friends of Kajabi, yeah. said, you need to learn about Valor. You need to learn about this place. Yeah. Um, and so, so I'd love to hear about that. Um, but then also, I'm curious just what... So you said your your father was a minister and then became a bishop. Most people in America associate associate India with Hinduism, Jainism, um, Sikhism. 
is Christianity regional or how does it so Christianity much more common in South India than North India where I come from which is okay. South India uh, but the population of India is huge as you know 1.3 billion and two mm-hmm. percent are Christians the rest are two percent just two percent yeah wow yeah so eighty uh, percent Hindus about ten percent are Muslims okay. and then like you said the other communities like Sikhs Jains and such like from the rest of it with Christianity being 2%. Wow. So even Clark, which is my surname, is a very un-Indian name. Yeah. But this background to that is uh, one of my forefathers must have been converted. And when you converted from Hinduism to Christianity, the way you denounced your previous religion was either you took on a biblical name or you mm. took on a very Western-sounding name, often a missionary who converted you. So mm. I presume one of my forefathers was probably mm. converted by someone called Clark or decided to take on a mm. Western-sounding name, and that's mm. how Clark has come down the generations. Wow. So there's a tradition that the Apostle Thomas went to India, right? It's historic, and I'm not sure... Legend is that he came down to the west coast of India, which is Kerala, yeah. and yeah. then traveled down, and then actually came through Tamil Nadu, where I'm from, near Chennai, in a place called St. Thomas Mount, mm-hmm. and they say that that's where he probably last either left mm-hmm. India or died there, we don't know. But mm. I don't think there's enough factual evidence, it's yeah. sort of, yeah, this is what they think happened, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Interesting. It's not until really spending time in, in this part of the world that you realize Christianity developed very differently than I perceived. Uh, um, Southeast Asia, Africa, um, a lot of the early church fathers were in those mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. It was not a European thing until much later on, which I think is fascinating. Yes, yeah. Considering Christianity arose or Christ lived in Jerusalem in the Middle mm-hmm. East, I think proximity-wise you can see why it happened that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Egypt is not far from where it mm-hmm. was, um, and you have flight to Egypt during uh, when Christ was born mm-hmm. um, but it, it doesn't surprise me definitely there was quite a lot of Christianity around this region and moving mm-hmm. both east to us mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. yeah I think my understanding for our previous conversation tell me if this is you know accurate that that velour is probably a picture of what Kajabi could be like and I don't know what you say 20 30 years yeah, quite possibly so. I mean, the first thing that struck me when I came to Kijabe, I saw the community spirit, the closeness, how well people got on together. And the first thing that struck me, especially with a lot of missionaries here, the first thing that struck me was this is Velo in the 50s or 60s, because mm-hmm. Velo was very similar and still is a Christ-centered mission hospital, uh, which was largely supported by Americans uh, and some British missionaries, both in terms of the day-to-day running of the hospital and in personnel, which I see exactly what is happening here. And Velo has then gone on to become one of the leading institutions in India, both teaching and in terms of health delivery. And my only prayer is that hopefully 30, 40 years, Kijabe is going to get there. One of the things that Velo has, which probably is an advantage for them having developed so quickly and so well is a medical school mm-hmm. which i think we don't have yet in kijabe but i think if we have christ as a center everything else will follow and i can see great things happening in kijabe yeah. just in the services that i've seen in breast 
cancer care itself. Uh, I can see this huge scope because we've just had a mammogram machine installed. Oh, great. Uh, yes, yeah, which is fantastic. Uh, and then I've helped in helping the radiologists from here, radiographers from here going to Aga Khan and MP Shah to get some training. Uh, and of course, we're going to have a breast radiologist coming from America, Shannery, is starting in August. So if this mammogram machine we have is state-of-the-art, absolutely fantastic machine. And then if we have a breast radiologist to actually drive that forward with Beryl here as a breast surgeon, I can see Kijabe being a fantastic breast unit going forward. Mm. Yeah. That's amazing. You, so you went from Valour, you went from a very faith-based medical system to the NHS which I assume was not the same. No, no. <laughs> what, what was that like? Yeah, so the NHS as a health provider is absolutely fantastic. Mm. To think that in a country, um, a developed country, you have a, which I think most developed countries should aspire for, where you have a health delivery system which is free at the point of delivery, is irrespective of your social status, your economic status, or who you are. Absolutely fantastic health delivery system. But one of the issues with that is that it's very secular, even though British consider themselves of a Christian country, I think that's far from what, what's, what's practically happening there. So it wasn't an issue for me. All my, I still was involved in my church. I sing in the church choir. I'm actively involved in the church activities. They've been very supportive of my coming here and they're upholding me by their prayers. So that balanced it out. And yes, it was different, but I think the professional satisfaction that I got from treating my patients, knowing that irrespective of whatever treatment they needed, they got it irrespective of their economic status. And I mm. think that is something most countries should aspire for. Any mm. developed country that doesn't do that, I think is really failing their people. Uh, and so I think Britain and the NHS is a fantastic health delivery system. It's huge and any huge system like that will have flaws, will have deficiencies, but as a principle where they can deliver uh, good quality care, which is completely free at the point of delivery, I think the NHS is fantastic. Mm. Yeah. What does India's delivery system look like? Because you're doing a lot of fundraising for the people who are, are not able to pay, correct? Yes. So Velour now, we, in the UK, we have a group very much like Friends of Kijabe called the Friends of Velour UK. Mm. Uh, and because Velour has been training medical students for about 80 years, mm. they have people in various countries. So mm. we have Friends of Velour in the US, in the UK, mm. in Australia, and in different parts. And the original role of these organizations, these are charities which were set up by missionaries who went from the UK to mm -hmm. Valor, worked there, came back and raised funds in churches from their local yeah. churches, equipment that was not being used but discarded by the NHS was being shipped back to Valor. So Valor depended a lot on these friends of Valor in the different countries. But Valor has now got grown so big and is completely self-sufficient for their day-to-day -day running, for their equipment. Mm -hmm. So they don't need the friends of Valor UK anymore for that. Mm -hmm. So we've turned our focus towards actually paying poor patients' bills. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that often used to worry me is that Yes, Valor is a fantastic institution. They give brilliant care, tertiary care for people. Mm -hmm. But what about the poor man living on the street outside or just two miles away from Valor? Where does he go? I mean, he doesn't have a chance of paying Valor's bills. So Valor has now moved on in that 15% of their income, which is a large amount, is completely for charity. And they're moving towards no patient will ever be turned away from Valor because of lack of funds. So that's where we come in and we have said, no more capital investment from us. We are going to concentrate on paying for poor patients' bills. And they have a very good system which was set up in the 70s called person to person. Mm. So a person in the UK donates money for a person in Velo. So that money is then raised and sent to Velo. 
Willow administers that, they completely take the charges for that, and every penny that that person in the UK donates goes directly to paying that poor patient's bill, and the person who in Velo UK who donates that money gets a report of the patient that they treated and whose bill that helped to pay. So I think that's, that was set up in the 70s in a very popular way of helping poor patients, because the donors love it, they know exactly what's happened, the social standard of how much the bill cost, what their uh, patients, either the patient or their uh, parents earn mm. and so how it has helped that so that was that's a very popular program and Friends of Allah UK that is our main yeah. contribute we that's our main uh, source that we fund so I just had a pause like wait in 1970 so that meant you had to send a letter for every single patient that was helped that's right yeah it was snail mail in those days yeah so I remember as um interns and as house officers yeah. actually filling in the form for a PTP wow. form so whenever the um, consultant knew that this patient is poor it's not going to affect they'll turn around to the junior most which was us yeah. can you please fill in a PTP form so we will then go into the patient's history their economic background where they live what they earn how many meals they have how big their house is and then all that details are then put together then the money is sent from PTP and then a, a sort of report is compiled by the PTP administrator in Velo and then sent by mail to the people in the UK. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just absolutely floored because I associate this with like organizations like Compassion International. Mm -hmm. This is normal now. Yeah, this was not normal in 1970. Yeah, um, by by any stretch of the imagination, that is just I don't know. That's just for somebody working in the charity space. It's yeah. just mind-bogglingly cutting edge. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. I think Velo has been just miles ahead of everybody else in India and even abroad. So mm. one of the other things, just to give you an example, was the medical admissions when mm. we got into medical college. Yeah. So you did an entrance exam mm. where you qualified and then you were called for an interview. Mm -hmm. And the interview took three days. Okay, and the interview was hardly anything on subject material, but it's basically to understand what is the aptitude of this individual person. Do they, do the CMC think that this person is someone who has the aptitude to go back and serve. That was the main crux of the interview. So we had personal interviews, we had group tasks, we had individual tasks, we had psychometric tasks. This is going back 50 years wow. when it wasn't even envisaged. So in the UK, we now started bringing this in for our medical admission. And I was saying, guys, we've been doing this for 50 years at Velo. So I think Velo was really miles ahead of everybody else in lots of their programs and lots of their thinking and a lot of their projects, yeah. That's just amazing. Is there anything you see at Kajabi that reminds you of what that's like? Like, what are the what are common threads? What I think the commonest thread is the Christ-centered attitude mm. yeah. of what you're doing for your patients. Mm. I mean, nobody's interested in personal gain, personal glory. All you're interested in that God's name be praised and that patient getting well. Mm. And I think that's probably the first thing that struck me when I came here. That's it's I think the most important thing in health mm. delivery system within yeah. a Christian ethos so that was the first thing that struck me the second thing that struck me is the training system is so similar Velo was started by an American missionary Ida Scudder so the training system where residents do what they were doing here like the PACS training system the residents take personal responsibility for the patient they're looking after they present to that in rounds they know everything about that patient and the training system was very similar and I think what I appreciate with PACS even more than what we had in Velo is ours was mainly service 
oriented and that we would work long hours looking after the patient whereas here you've introduced some teaching into it also you have in, at least in surgery we have regular teaching sessions which we didn't have in Valor the onus was on the individual to go read up and whereas here you have a structured training program with structured teaching from starting from the basic sciences going right up to the operating skills which is fantastic yeah mm. How do how does the skill level of our trainees match up to other places you've been? I think the training here, the skill level is fantastic, um, and I think it's what I like about the PAC system is it's actually geared towards the African setting, mm. um, in that they have a general training which we don't have in the UK. We've moved away completely, but UK can afford to do it because it's a developed country and they have the NHS which will look after everyone whatever their need is. Whereas here it's not the case, and so I think the training is very broad here, very good here, and. Having seen the final year residents, I know they're going to be doing the exams shortly, and they will go out. And I'm confident they would be able to manage most surgical conditions. And when I say surgical, not in the narrow sense of the UK, but in the broad sense of what Africa needs. So mm. I think the skill levels are absolutely fantastic for these mm. residents here. Yeah. For for some of the non-medical people, what are the what are the biggest surgical needs for Africa? So I think surgical need for Africa is to be a generalist where you can actually. Have the basic understanding of surgical diseases, mm. knowing what the pathology is, and to be able to quite rightly identify the problem and treat it adequately. One of the things I've noticed here is I've seen lots of patients being referred from elsewhere who actually have no knowledge of how that disease should have been treated, but are willing to have a go because either bravado or there's financial incentive because if they did something surgical, they're going to get paid for it. And I think that's where Pax really stands out in that they ground them quite well uh, and by the end of their training they know exactly what to do mm. yeah do we know why breast cancer is so I, I i know we're a referral center so i have a skewed sense because that's so much of what we see in kajabi why is it so prevalent why is it affecting young people do we have answer to those questions interestingly the statistics we have shows that breast cancer is a disease of the developing country so when I was in India working in rural India in Assam uh, in the last few years, I didn't see very much breast cancer. Mm. Rural India, villages, not so much. You go to the urban cities in India, it's more common. And similarly, Kijabe seems to get a track because of the reputation we have of having treated breast cancer for a long time with Peter's rep reputation. Um, we are a referral center for lots of people around the area. So... I think Kijabe and Kenya is also going in the direction of the other developing countries where breast cancer is getting more common. And I have a simplistic view to this, and I've discussed this with you before, in that the things that increase your risk for breast cancer, even though each of them are small, are much more common in the developed countries. So things like the oral contraceptive pill, Hormone replacement treatment, all of these are extraneous estrogens which your body is not used to and taking that increases your risk. Things related to childbirth, so being nulliparous or not having children increases your risk. Having children and the number of children you have is protective. So if you have more children, you are more protected against breast cancer. The same way breastfeeding. So in the West, there was a huge fad against breastfeeding and using artificial milk um, and breastfeeding is protective. In developing countries like India and Kenya, it's a necessity. If you don't breastfeed, it's economically not possible to actually buy powdered milk. And so, so it's because of necessity, you have to do it. So everyone breastfed. And so as we, each of these 
is a small risk, but if you add them cumulatively, they become a higher risk. And I think as more countries, the developing countries are getting more developed and getting more westernized, all of them are following the same trend that we have in the West, and this is increasing the risk. And so breast cancer is getting more common in the developing countries, unlike it was 20 or 30 years ago. Wow. I don't know how to respond to them like that. It just sounds both sad and scary. It is, yeah. Because statistics in the cities in India show that they're almost catching up with the West in terms of prevalence of breast cancer. And mm. it's probably this whole modernization, yeah. gaping the West, and doing all the things that they think the Westerners do, which is good. I was having a conversation with Rich Davis today about, about research. Mm -hmm. And the thing that comes to mind is autism. Um, how rare it is for for it to be seen here, yet in Nairobi it's much more common. And each year that goes by, I don't know if I, I don't know if your wife has had this experience in anywhere else you've traveled, but each year that goes by, Ariana sees a few more children, and it's. I, I wonder if there's similar factors. I wonder what the correlations are and where it comes from. I think definitely you can. Uh, my wife's in the same field that Ariel, and she's a pediatrician also. And there's no doubt that, um, that incidence is increasing. But also, I think we're more aware of conditions that we didn't know 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, autism was just about coming, making us. And very similarly, uh, screening in breast cancer, pre-invasive breast cancer like DCIS, we didn't know these conditions before. But slowly, we're getting more and research helps with that. We've got good screening programs both in the US and in the UK, fantastic breast screening programs. And so we're learning much more as we go along with each intervention that comes about, like screening. I mean, um, so I think we're going to see more of it. And the more you see of it, the more you get to know of it. And the more you get to know of it, the better it gets for patients mm -hmm. and for health delivery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What would have happened in Kajabi, I guess, if you did have breast cancer 20 years ago? I mean, was that probably very few chemotherapy options? I guess you could have done a mastectomy, but there was no reconstruction. I mean, was it a death sentence? Um, almost, because one of the problems we have in Kijabi and in Kenya on the whole, I think, is patients present much later. Mm. So as a result of which, um, their prognosis is not going to be as good as countries like yours and mine, where we have good screening programs, we pick it up early. So if you take breast cancer in the UK now, mm. uh, two thirds of the patients are gonna be alive and well in 20 years time. In Kijabe, it's gonna be the complete opposite statistic, uh, roughly just off the mm. top of my head, where two thirds will be dead after yeah. 20 years in 20 years time. And that's because they present so late. Um, so yes, so we've got much better in the treatment uh, everywhere. Um, and the problem we have is a lot of the new treatments in breast cancer, i.e. chemotherapy, monoclonal antibodies, unfortunately are very expensive. Mm -hmm. So while in the UK where you have the NHS where it doesn't matter, in Kijabe and in Kenya, it's much more difficult to access all of these. But saying that in the three months that I've been here, we've patients have been given the same chemotherapy regime that we use in UK, thanks to NHIF, thanks to patient's awareness. They're able to access monoclonal antibodies, not to the extent we would in the UK, but definitely it's available mm. and it's now we give our treat patients that treatment. And of course, reconstructive surgery has moved on miles. Um, mm. So in terms of the treatment options we have, it's increased phenomenally. When I started in the UK 30 years ago, we had one chemotherapy regime for breast cancer. Now we have 20, maybe 30 regimes that we can use, different 
chemotherapeutic agents uh, and if one fails you go on to the next and so on and so forth which we didn't have 20 years ago so i think treatment for breast cancer is really looking up uh, and with the new mammogram machine i think one of the big things that we should be looking and that's one of the things i'm here to discuss with you is setting up a screening program for the local people because mm. the mammogram machine is not going to be busy with the amount of breast cancer work that we do so really what we need to be doing is developing a screening program going out into the community and telling them come let's have a look let's have mammograms let's pick this up early if you have a cancer we'll sort it out for you